it was extraordinary. You have to represent all of your constituency. I remember how it made me feel even to this day. It was Jackie McLean's sound. Desperate souls, obviously, the low rung on the totem pole. People love the merchandise. I love the, the blue and green, you know, Hartford Whalers colorway. I love to go grocery shopping, and I don't really know why. I like to walk up and down the aisles. Before I get into trouble with people who want uh, the Whalers. It was quite moving to be there and to hear them. Hey, this is Mike Hammond. Thank you for listening to Capital Watch all year long. We put together some clips of some of the people we spoke to and some of the stories that we covered. I want to thank all the reporters I got to work with here at The Current this year. It was really magical and educational for me. I couldn't have done this without them. So here you go. Here are clips gathered from all across Capital Watch in 2019. Hope you enjoy. What can you expect from me? I think I'm a straight shooter. I think I'm an honest broker. I think I'm a pretty good listener. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. But I do have a strong sense of where we need to go and what the people of Connecticut expect from us. I believe in Connecticut and you're here because you believe in Connecticut. Let's get Connecticut growing again. History has its eyes on you, all of us. Let's do this together. May God bless you and may God bless the hardworking people of the great state of Connecticut. Love you all, thank you. Wow, yesterday was an audiophile's dream, I'm not going to lie to you. What you just heard was a mashup of Governor-elect Lamont, pardon me, Governor Ned Lamont, giving his State of the State at the Capitol yesterday afternoon. You also heard the Varick Choir under Pastor Kelsey Steele singing Amazing Grace, and this was earlier in the day during Lamont's swearing-in at the State Armory. And then outside of the legislative office building in Hartford, those were giant howitzer guns paying tribute to the new governor. Those guns were shaking the windows of the legislative office building. And then amid all the marching bands and the pipers during the parade, when the parade ended at the Capitol, those were two slow-moving Lockheed C-130 Hercules transport planes. I think that's what they were anyway. In fact, I think it's worth hearing those, those C-130s again. Here they are. All right, let's just dial up a few numbers here. You have reached the United States Geological Survey, New England Water Science Center, Connecticut office. You have reached the Connecticut FSA State Office. The Department of Housing and Urban Development. The United States Coast Guard Band Concert Information Line. Federal government spending authority expired on Friday, December 21st, 2018. Due to the lapse in funding for the Department of Homeland Security. We are on furlough due to the lapse in federal government funding. Due to the lapse in appropriations, we are prohibited from conducting work as federal employees. Scheduled concerts and performance events by the United States Coast Guard Band will not take place. Therefore, most HUD programs have been temporarily interrupted and most HUD employees have been told they cannot work. Including returning phone calls and emails until further notice. Please leave a voicemail or email one of us. This message will be updated as soon as there are new congressional or presidential directives. I will not be able to check this voicemail box during the shutdown. Again, all Coast Guard Band concerts and events will be canceled as long as the government shutdown is still underway. Please feel free to leave me a message or contact me once the federal government reopens. Please note that we do not have access to email or voicemail due to the current lapse in funding. The band's quarterly mailer will not be sent during the shutdown. We regret any inconvenience the government shutdown may cause. We look forward to returning your message once funding has been restored. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. All right. Never mind. Listen to those voicemail greetings. There's sadness in those voicemail greetings. The shutdown continues to affect Connecticut residents, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Sight. Marijuana. You know, let's get that legalized. You know, I mean, if we're going to talk about some revenue streams, open that up. What are we? What are we like? Uh, no, we'd rather be broke and and make a couple. Um, angry people like satisfied not like they're not going to find something else to be angry about you know what wouldn't make them angry a little marijuana okay that's what i'd like to see in 100 days that's about all i got (laughs) it's a funny clip that was a gentleman named lamont who i met a couple of weeks ago at a sit and steep event at tainted ink in hartford another lamont governor ned lamont signaled throughout his campaign that he was in favor of legalizing marijuana for recreational use in Connecticut. It's all about the money. The programs want it. The cities and towns want it. UConn wants it. The community colleges want it. Everybody wants money from the state, whether you're in Avon, Connecticut, or New London, Connecticut. If you're on the uh, city council or on the finance board in New London, Connecticut, you're saying wow, we could really use that money from the state because we have our own local issues and our own local problems. We really need that money. And every program under the sun also wants and will tell you that they need money. UConn has complained a lot and said that they were dropping in their ratings, dropping in their ratings in the U.S. News and World Report ratings thing, partly because the state wasn't giving them enough money. So, yeah, everybody wants money. They do. Yes, everyone wants money. That was Capitol Bureau Chief Chris Keating. And this is Chris Keating. He's here with me to talk about what to expect when Governor Ned Lamont unveils his state budget next week. I don't like tolls, personally. I think tolls are highly unnecessary. I think if it were to help the state financially, I don't have an issue with it. It's kind of like saying, oh, here, you have to pay me for the privilege of coming to visit where we are. I don't want tolls to come to Connecticut. (laughs) If I have to pay more tolls and the money actually goes to improvements, then this is what we have to do. I I think I'd feel pretty bad about it, to be honest. Um, I understand the rationale for tolls. I realize that state is in a lot of debt and they need to raise money. I think that tolls are not really a big objection for people. I think the biggest objection is I don't want to have to pay a toll to travel everywhere I go. I mean, I would have no issue with tolls coming to Connecticut as long as they're going to use the money in a responsible way. That being said, personally, I feel like it will have the the worst impact on Connecticut residents. Tolls. 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 Tough New England roads. (laughs) I would not like tolls because I feel like the tax in the state is already high enough. You'd be paying, yes, which is an inconvenience. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that. We put it together using interviews we've done over the last few months trying to gauge how people really feel about tolls. It's been all over the place. I'm against regionalizations of the schools. I'm here to voice my opposition to bill numbers SB 738, SB 457, and SB 874, and any other legislation that includes forced school regionalization. I'm here before you to oppose the following bills, Senate Bill 457, Senate Bill 738, and Governor's Bill 874. I'm here to oppose, uh, sorry, uh, SB 7874. I'm a bit nervous. 
I stand in firm opposition. I'll be speaking in opposition. And I vehemently oppose. And I would like to oppose the proposing bills 457, 738, and 874. All right, so you just heard a very small sample size taken from the 200 or so Connecticut residents who turned out to testify at an education committee hearing at the Legislative Office Building last Friday. All of those voices happen to be students, and most of them in that clip also happen to be from the town of Wilton. I mean, it really started with thinking about my daughter and the fact that I didn't want her and her peers to grow up in a state or in a country that was less progressive than the one that I grew up in or my mom grew up in or even my grandparents. Uh, This is definitely not the time to take steps backward. And when I didn't see candidates emerge who had some of the same values, I thought, okay, time to get off the bench and uh, I'll throw my hat in the ring. My daughter, Parker, her father was a huge help and did a fantastic job with spending time with her as much as he possibly could, but we were both working full-time jobs and that obviously limits the amount of time that we can have with Parker, particularly in the summertime when she's not in school. The child's care piece was one of the first things I thought about when it was time for me to decide if I was running or not. It was going to be this collage of family members and I knew there would be, would be points where I'd have to hire somebody to be with her. That's Caitlin Clarkson Pereira. She's a former Democratic candidate from Fairfield who challenged Republican State Representative Barbara Kupchik in the 132nd House District race in 2018. Once I found opiates in my uh, my early 20s, I got caught up in that hole, you know, and it, it felt like everybody I knew that was in my town and surrounding towns was, was doing pills. And it was like, it was not like it was um, years before that, that, you know, opiates are bad, you know, this is horrible, stay away from it. It was almost like a recreational thing to do to pop Percocets at a party or, you know, when you're hanging out. And I I feel like it's even more socially acceptable now, you know. I think it's turning a lot of people into addicts. Some people don't have that that mindset where they get triggered and they want to seek out more and they can draw back. You know, me, on the other hand, I I believe that, you know, the mind of an addict, it's wired a little bit differently. I found it much more difficult to draw back to the point where, you know, I began selling pills and I I was doing whatever I could to to support my habit. And when that didn't work, you know, I, I was, you know, stealing from stores. I was doing basically whatever it took to get money, to get more because I didn't have that. Okay, now. Now, this is enough. Wow, dude, you know, take a look at yourself. And when I when I couldn't get enough money and when that wasn't enough anymore, you know, I had a, a friend that I knew was doing heroin. I said, hey, can you come over and show me how to do this? Because I know it's a lot cheaper. I'm just going to do it once because I'm sick and, you know, I'm, I'm detoxing right now and I need to feel better. And, um, and that just, you know, started a whole new chapter of, uh, of lower depths. That's Connecticut rapper Casey Conklin. Casey performs and records as Casey Makes Music. He and producer-musician Jordan Meyer, himself a recovering alcoholic, released a single for the song Sober, and the video has been viewed hundreds of thousands of times across all the platforms. Husky fans, listen up. We've got another podcast we want to tell you about. UConn Insider from the Hartford Current takes a deep dive into all things UConn athletics. 
Host Chris Broder brings you exclusive, in-depth interviews with coaches, players, and reporters who are dishing out expert analysis each and every week. Search for UConn Insider wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. Want more from The Current? You can subscribe to our Five Things to Know newsletter to get the latest headlines in your inbox every morning. Politics, breaking news, UConn sports, opinion, and more. Head to current.com slash newsletters to sign up today. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to tell you about a new initiative here at The Current. We're all about new initiatives. Michaela Kane, take it away. Sure. I'm going to tell you about The Thread, which is our new news source for millennials, created by millennials here at The Current. Give us a follow on social at The Thread CT on your favorite platforms, or you can sign up for our newsletter at current.com slash newsletters. You good with that? Yeah. Earlier this year, Connecticut's Department of Agriculture began giving out licenses to grow hemp. One of those permits was given to Luis Vega. Yes, how are you? How's it going, sir? Nice to meet you. Sorry about that. So last week, I drove down to O'Hara's Nursery in Monroe, where Vega tends to dozens of hemp plants in a greenhouse. A man named Lamont was helping out. Would you be able to just start on the fan leaves? Sure. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And Lamont's been working with me and really growing his cannabis knowledge. Here, use these because they're smaller, brother. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so what are you, what are you doing there, Lamont? Just uh, trimming stuff that's dead, or trimming the fan leaves so more lights could, more light could reach the bottom, thus help the soil get more nutrients upward. Because uh, after a while, it gets so big, no light can pass through. So uh-huh. this makes it better. So I figured we'd uh, sit in here as well. So these are uh, watermelon box is the strain. And we're growing this for smokable flower matter. We're using supplemental lighting to allow it to go a little bit further. And this is industrial hemp. What did you say it was? It was watermelon? B-O-A-X box. B-O-A-X? Yeah. What does that refer to? It's one of the strains that it was crossed with. Okay. So it was a cherry strain that started and then yeah. continued up the fruity realm. So so when did these, when did you plant these? Uh, these came in here... Uh, August 1st, Okay. and they'll be harvest November 15th. So these particular plants started as clones on one of five other properties that Vega uses to grow hemp. He has 1,500 plants growing outside on his own field, not too far away from here. Is that on this property? No, it's not on this one. That's where I just came back from, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what what are we um, what are we seeing here? I mean, so what's the, uh... what we're seeing here is the second half of the vegetative into flower state. And these plants are entering the flower state. They're all feminized female plants that are going to yield anywhere between 17 and uh, 20% CBD. And then we'll either extract some of it for um, topicals, edibles, or we'll use the top flowers for the smokables. So, smokable CBD. Smokable so CBD. There's no, there's no THC. No, we don't that. grow any yeah, yeah. THC. Yeah. So we're part of the Connecticut Industrial Hemp Program, which started this year, which allowed agricultural members to start growing hemp. And a lot of people are using this to subsidize some of the uh, funds on their farms, which is making it a little bit easier to sustain their lifestyle as well. Sure. So you have an agreement with the with the owners here. Yes. So we're bringing okay. back the idea of sharecropping. And on some of these properties, we're sharecropping. And then I, was, I purchased my own piece of property and I have some growing there as well. The idea was to be able to empower as many agricultural farmers that are starting to find those those lack of funds because it's times are changing. 
you know, as silly as it sounds, a nursery like this is now, he was on his downswing. Now he's on his upswing. He's quite happy to be working with us. So as we continue to grow the Connecticut uh, hemp co-op, we'll uh, keep pushing it, keep pushing it. So I would say the majority of my life, um, all of my occupation uh, has been here in Connecticut. I've traveled quite a bit in my teenage years. So this is Connecticut resident Carolyn Martin-Taylor, and she's looking for a job. I went to, you know, your Hartford Public School, but I went to a technical school within the Hartford Public School, and that was AI Prince Technical School, where you would get a trade. So back in the day, I would say in your 80s, that was pretty well the thing for most of the students when they graduate from school because they had a trade. They can go straight into the occupation, which I did. Martin Taylor studied hairdressing and cosmetology, and she did pretty well at it. Because not everybody is college material. All of my brothers, they went to college, you know, and they had their degrees, and they were satisfied with that in engineering. However, back in the day again, in the 80s, I was making pretty good money traveling. I did the shows, um, you know, make, I was a makeup artist, hairstylist. I've worked on some prominent people. I've done some modeling myself. It was a very, very, very productive type of career in the beginning. Yeah, but like many of us, Martin Taylor's career path was not destined to be a kind of a straight line. She owned a salon, she ran a business, she eventually went to Springfield College to study human services, and she even went back to Prince Tech for a while to teach hairdressing and cosmetology. So it's kind of like I was bouncing back and forth with my degree. So since I wasn't too sure, I figured I would top it off with business management, um, including the, the marketing and entrepreneurship with the masters, which would be the title uh, Masters of Leadership. So that would cover everything. Well, at least I thought. Um, it works well in other states, but it doesn't work here in Connecticut. Why is that? Tell me more about that. I don't understand, but many of my colleagues said the same thing. I, I said, how are you doing now that you know we all graduated with that degree in leadership, many of us? And I said, so what are you going to do? They said, well, one thing, we're not going to stay in Connecticut. It's just not set up that way for our generation to come in in an organization and assist it in some type of way or help the business to run with the skills that we obtain in college. Um, we have a lot of hands-on experience. We we got into communities. We, we did a lot of our... Um, uh, a lot of our studies were done within local communities where we could make a difference. In other words, we were giving back. You would think at the end we would be able to get a job with maybe a nonprofit or a state agency, but it just doesn't turn out that way in Connecticut. We don't understand why, but many of my colleagues have moved to Georgia, South Carolina. I moved to Maryland for about three years, and I did very well. Um, unfortunately, I'm back here in Connecticut um, recently within a year or so because I lost my dad. Um, totally unexpected, so now I'm back taking care of my mom, and let me tell you, I am struggling. Well, I joined on after I found out about it. Um, I've been doing this for about two and a half years now. Katie Gagnon is a research assistant and the resident historian for the Connecticut Green Burial Grounds. A friend of mine, organized all of this. She's our founder and she just saw a need for it. it it's actually, um, it, it's a pretty popular concept. 
and we don't have a full green burial ground in the state of Connecticut. We're looking to establish the first full green burial ground in Connecticut and really it's just for there to be an option for people like me who don't want to be embalmed, who don't want to go into an exotic hardwood casket. Gagnon met me at West Cemetery in Plainville. It's pretty close to the house she grew up in. This place is sort of a great combination of both what we do now with burials and what we used to do. A lot of people in here are actually towards the front in the newer, in the older section aren't embalmed. There's a burial right over here from around 1820. That person wouldn't have been embalmed. Embalming didn't really become popular until after the Civil War. So that person wouldn't have been embalmed. They wouldn't have had um, exotic hardwood coffins. There probably isn't a vault in there. But just behind them is a Civil War burial. That person was likely embalmed. Devastating. Devastating. I asked restaurant owner Brian Jesserin what the veto and pending lawsuits might mean for his business, which he operates with his brother, Barry Jesserin. I'm so discouraged by what's happened here in the past year that uh, we're very seriously considering selling everything and getting out. And it's, uh, it's a big decision, and we don't take it lightly. And, uh, but I, I, don't think, I don't think we have a choice. I'm in there talking to these legislators, and this, what they tell me, they're just so ignorant. It's just shocking. They don't understand how fragile these economies are and how it's all held together with chewing gum and bailing twine, believe me, particularly here in northeastern Connecticut, that, you know, we can't, we can't take a blow like that. We just can't. Nobody can. You know, we don't have $500,000 sitting in a bank account that we can just pay off these fines with. That's not the way the world works. You know, it's, um, it'll ruin, ruin our business. Just ruin it. And, and then those workers don't have a job. No, it's something these people do not understand. They don't understand how these economies work. I agree. I think we had the whalers years ago, and we have the wolf pack, and they do okay. And I think the whalers, like fanhood, still here. They're waiting for more teams to come back. They want that. We just don't have it right now. But it's definitely a great spot for it. You're perfectly between New York and Boston. So the markets are there to do minor league systems that you're close to those two top ten markets. So that was a man named Kelsey, and we were talking last Friday afternoon. I wanted to test out my theory about Hartford being the ideal minor league city. So I went to Bushnell Park on Friday afternoon to the newly established Beer Garden. It's organized by Hartford's Hanging Hills Brewery, along with Hog River Brewing Company, which is also in Hartford, and Harry's Pizza of West Hartford. And man, was it hopping. I mean, I've been here for two years now. And I think in the two years, it's kind of grown, at least in our demographic, of looking for things to do. And there's people here to do those things, and they want that stuff. There's just aren't those options. That's why I think with the soccer team, they're brand new, but they're getting great turnouts because now there's something to go do. Do you go to Yard Goats games? You go oh, to yeah. minor league sports games? What is the uh, What's the appeal for you? I mean, is, is it the... Do you care if they win or lose? Is it just the experience of the whole thing? I have more of the experience for me. I mean, it's way cheaper than, like, if you want to go to a Yankees game or a Giants game or Patriots or Red Sox or something, you're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars for travel and tickets and parking and beer and whatnot. And here it's, like, a couple bucks to get in the game. It's reasonably priced food and drinks, and you couple bucks for parking and you're good 50 bucks max you had a great night absolutely and that's like you you had a good night yeah and you don't care about the outcome and that really. appeals to the college something. kid too yeah, yeah. And there's a ton of colleges around here 
I don't know, you know, unfortunately, we don't like to discuss it, but uh, all of us will eventually die. So, uh, and everyone listening to this program will die. We don't want to mention that or say that, but it's true. You know, we all have great intentions. We're not going to eat that whole chocolate cake and then, you know, I don't know, 1030 at night and sitting there and you just can't help yourself. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so, you know, we, we don't know what the future will hold. Marty, Marty. clean up on, clean aisle, up on five. aisle five. Tough New England roads. <laughs> if you go into the legislature right now and wander around, you will see an awful lot of people, highly paid people in suits hanging around trying to influence the legislation one direction or another. One direction or another. There certainly has not been, in the land of steady habits, there has not been unanimity on this. The medical professionals are involved, all kinds of religious groups are involved, all kinds of people are involved, and all kinds of people have different viewpoints on this. And you have to throw this dose in, the politicians won't tell you this, a lot of them just don't want to deal with it. In other words, don't make me vote on this. I don't want to vote on this, don't make me vote on this. Now, what percentage of the people in the legislature are like that, I'm not sure, but believe me, they are there. So when you were in college, did everyone pretty much jewel? Yes, everywhere. Like I said, I don't have a jewel, only ever hit a jewel, as they say, once, and it wasn't anything special. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was everywhere. People would be sitting in the common room in my sorority house just jeweling on the couch, and I would be like, hey, can you not? (laughs) That's gross. But yeah, it's everywhere. Resulted in Lamont's victory. Oh, crrr.